0: Today's episode of The Watch on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to the ringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. We are trying to raise $250,000. And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, it's the ringer.com slash WCK.
1: I need support staff to, to clear the room. Stand up and walk
0: now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at theringer.com. And joining me on the other line, fetching the bolt cutters, it's Andy Greenwald!
2: Don't don't you put that in my mouth. Someone else owns that lane. <laughs> What's going on, brother? What would you give me on Pitchfork? Be oh, honest. you're your best new music, son. <laughs> That's nice. I haven't, been, I haven't been new in a long time, buddy, but happy Uh-oh. Monday.
0: What's up, man? Uh, It's Monday, it's The Watch, and what a show we have for you. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, but you'll be uh, able to hear this sometime Monday evening because it's a very special episode of The Watch. Today we talk about the season finale of Better Call Saul, a show which I think Andy and I agree is the best show of the year so far. Oh,
2: wow. Look at you. Would you say that? Putting that in my mouth. Non-BP. Yes, right? Yeah. That's okay. Uh, I wouldn't I I I am already removing myself from the conversation. Um <laughs> I mean
0: What's the comp? It's been, it's zero been zero great. zero. I'm
2: trying to think. What else have we loved? Zero zero zero. Um we enjoyed talking about the outsider, but I don't think it was on this level. Um no, I think you're right. I think you're right. You you know how how loath I am to throw around superlatives. You? But <laughs> yeah.
0: you love a superlative. Andy, I, I think do. so. We 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 get to the end of this season. I think the last two episodes delivered in a huge way. And we'll talk about how that finale played out. Then we have a very special guest joining us. None other than Lalo Salamanca himself. Tony Dalton was nice enough to call in to the watch today. Uh, Note on that, a couple of technical difficulties there with the audio. Um, So apologies if it's a little bit more guided by voice's mid-90s audio fidelity than we usually put out. But Bobby Wagner will work his magic and I'm sure it'll be fine. And if it's not, it's all on Bobby. It's his
2: responsibility. I think the important thing, and this is why Chris was saying it, is that Chris is going to sound great.
0: I, I sound fine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the most important thing for you to understand is that Chris is in crisp, crisp high fidelity. It just
0: doesn't come through when Tony and Andy are talking about what a great podcaster I am. That's the only yeah. part that gets lost.
2: That got um, a little garbled.
0: Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into a Better Call Saul. Man, what a nerve wracking two hours of television, and two hours plus of television that they that they put out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm just kind of in awe. I the funny thing is is that for as satisfying as I found this to be, it was kind of an anti-cliffhanger cliffhanger. Yes. And I think there a lot of people were worried, not worried. I mean, you you should worry because this is a dark show and I don't think it's going to get much brighter as we go along. But I think a lot of people anticipated a major major domino to fall in this in this last episode, if not the episode pre previous. And we didn't quite get it. We got, I think, a very good setup for what will be season six, where we arrive, and spoilers begin here, um, we arrive at the end of this season with Lalo understanding exactly who betrayed him, having a pretty good idea that Jimmy lied to him clearly, and also obviously knowing that Nacho um, sold him out. So it puts Jimmy, Nacho, and to some extent, Gus, and to a worrying extent, Kim, in the crosshairs. What was your reaction to the finale?
2: I think it's interesting how many times uh, this show can explicitly tell us what it is and how it does what it does, how many hours we can spend on this podcast celebrating the show for what it is and how it doesn't play by normal rules and it doesn't play by The playbook that we've come to expect from television in this century because it doesn't need to because the luxury it has with its relationship to um previous show breaking bad and also our relationship with these characters and yet like lucy with the football we and i and i think we both of us but i also think probably a lot of audience members too are so conditioned to engage with drama and dramatic television in a way that we keep Falling for it, and I think they actually know that. And I and 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 if and when we get to talk to uh, Peter Gould or or Vince Gilligan about it, that's something I'd like to put to them directly because this show has never ever been one that gives you the thing you're looking for when you're looking for it. It has never been the one to tick the boxes of what a finale ought to ought to be, and putting that in quotes, um, scratching itches that feel like they've been left there for a while. Everything about the the brilliant and excruciating finale of episode nine let would though caused us like on a muscle memory level to expect that the gunshot we expected one way or another whether mm-hmm. metaphorical or not in that final scene between uh, Lalo Kim and Jimmy we expected it to to ricochet or go off in this episode and of course it didn't you know right. this is just not what this show is they have the restraint earned and also inherited that they don't have to. You know, what happens to to Lalo and Nacho, which is, you know, we'll say it for the hundredth time for the people in the cheap seats, whatever that event was is what Saul blurts out in his first appearance in Breaking Bad. Yeah. They don't have to do it yet. They can spend an entire season misdirecting, redirecting before finally giving us this event that the entire season, basically, season, entire series has been predicated on revealing. So, yes, it was slightly anticlimactic. But, again, this is this remarkable, good vibes mojo that Better Call Saul has that other shows don't. I didn't mind it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was, I was went back and I, I was rereading some of the stuff you used to write about, especially towards the end of Breaking Bad's run for Grantland. And you wrote so well about the clock-like you know, the watch-like technical mastery of plot and story that the writers on that show of Breaking Bad had, towards especially towards the end in terms of pacing, in terms of tempo, and in terms of knowing when to hit the accelerator versus when to pump the brakes in terms of how far or short they're going to come in in this story. And I was thinking about Better Call Saul a lot in relation to that because for me, I think the thing I realized at the end of these these last two episodes, 9 and 10, was that in some ways, Better Call Saul for me is just much more thematically rewarding now. not I, I think it's unfair to say it's one or the other and that one has to be better than the other. I, it, it makes for decent enough content, but it, it's fine for Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad to both be fucking awesome shows. But watching um, the way in which that they are t- taking their time to sort of layer these doubles. Everybody in this show has a double. Everybody in this show has the mirror image on the uh, each side of the story. And now that those stories are converging, watching the Kim and the Nacho get closer together, watching Gus and Lalo become obviously intertwined, and watching Mike and Saul become intertwined, I, I, I just can't help but feel like th- this show has become an almost more ambiguously brilliant character study in a way i i think that that breaking bad was always a very neat story and this story for as precise as it is feels a little bit messier and feels a little bit sadder to me
2: well i think part of that is because um it can live in a more um a less binary more gray yeah. world Maybe of emotions because we know the outcome for a lot of them. So it doesn't have to spend as much time on the TikTok of people's lives as opposed to the sort of um, ebb and flow of their emotional or moral um, interior. Um, I also think that, you know, for as fun as it is for fans and non-fans to, to debate which one is better, which one is superior, my opinion really is that this show could not exist without the other one in every possible way, both how the, who's in it, obviously, um, you know, the, the the trust that it's earned to tell its story at its own pace and also the, the, the style of storytelling. And so there's something about Better Call Saul that I think feels very, very rewarding to fans in a way that might separate it from other shows. It's rewarding because we're going deeper in ways that we didn't before because of what we've already watched and what we've already invested in. But there's also the element that I think should be called out too, which is the idea that this show is better than Breaking Bad would have been absolutely heretical until the last two seasons. Sure. Um, oh, absolutely. Except, a, a, except absolutely. from the except from the the hottest of hot takers, uh, the fringiest corners of Reddit. If you and if you were like deep
0: in Sandpiper and were saying that, like, yeah, absolutely not. You and I are late adopters. We yes. are definitely like BCS phase two evangelists. But I, but both of us had problems with like the early part of the season, early the years, as we did with Breaking Bad.
2: And are season one and two of Better Call Saul quote unquote worse than the later seasons or are they the necessary uh, first steps to get to earn these seasons? And that's sort of an impossible question to ask. But I do think that for diehard fans of the show who didn't do like what we did, who have you know happily watched every episode week to week over these past five seasons, feel not smug because there's nothing negative about it. They feel rightfully proud of their investment and the return they're seeing on their investment. So that feeling of reward is part of this conversation, you know, definitely because now the, with hindsight, that's only possible in season five, You could be like, oh, they did have a l- probably a lot more planned, not planned, but a lot more intention is baked into those first few seasons than maybe even um, Breaking Bad, which still didn't really know what it was going to be until further into its run.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to ask if you took a, a sip of fine tequila when Kim Kim brought up Sandpiper underneath the sheets in the finale.
2: <laughs> so glad that's coming back. You know, <laughs> I, 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 as 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 the husband of an attorney, like I'm all about wondering if lawyer's fees are included. And uh, I think that's, I think, uh, you know, it is all connected in a fun way. They're able to do that in a way that they never could before. Um, do you know I anything mean, know about are like the the,
0: the thematic richness of this show? That seems not only in the sense of like the way in which the characters are written with these kind of strings attaching them, but just the idea of of uh, uh, this season especially. I and I I I kind of wish that there was more screen time for Nacho, but this season especially, watching Mike kind of shepherd Nacho and mm. and Saul shepherd Kim, and both of them having a real feeling of of protectiveness and also sadness about what is happening to these people.
2: I agree with you about Nacho. I wish that I'm really enjoying Michael Mando's performance a lot. And uh, I would have liked to see even more of him this season. seems like we're going to see a lot, at least in the first half of next season. I imagine. Um, Let's just to, to talk specifically about Kim. And when you talk about thematic richness, what I think is at play here and it's worth noting is that generally whether you're like a casual tv fan that doesn't think about this stuff or you're, you're you're like us or people who listen to this podcast who think too much about this stuff we carry an irrational amount of hope into fictional scenarios on week-to-week serialized television shows it's just baked into the way we engage with culture it's the way we wa- you know generally the way we watch movies even if we it's imperceptible even if we can't tell if it's a rom-com You want them to fall in love, even though you've never met these people before. If it's a thriller or a horror movie, you don't want that person to die, even though you know if it's a horror movie, you know, 60%, I don't know the numbers, a lot of the people gathered together at summer camp or whatever probably aren't going to make it to the end. That is an essential part of dramatic storytelling that masters of the craft know and manipulate, even though that's kind of a dirty word. And what's amazing about what this show has given us is that Kim, one of the most you know, fascinating, brilliantly performed, well-written, compelling characters on TV in recent memory. Uh, We want nothing more than for her to find happiness. Mm -hmm. That's just, of course we do. But there is no hope in the character. There is no hope in the character because we know she is not in Breaking Bad. Now, that's not saying it's not even like a, you know, a guessing spoiler. We don't know if she dies. Um, Although certainly a lot of people are worried that she will. We do know that the happy ending that A Better Call Saul that wasn't connected to another TV show uh, would have, the happy ending we would be rooting for if this was a different type of show, it's just absent. Yeah. And so because of that, all of our journeys with her have this a much deeper, more melancholic capacity to them, right? It's a yeah. it's just a very different way to engage with a character and it's shot through all of it. And so in this finale, when we see her, her Saul come out, right, yeah, which has been there the since the beginning. Notes.
0: Just like Saul does when he says... Saul Goodman, in the beginning of this season, I think, at the courthouse. Yep. And he's getting his name changed and everything. Or maybe it's at the end of fo- season four. I can't remember. But when, when that happens, uh, when Kim does finger guns at, at Jimmy in the apartment, I think we're supposed to feel almost as bad as we would if Lalo hadn't been, believed their story in his apartment. I mean, it's it's as painful to Jimmy. You know what I mean? Like, it it hurts as much.
2: Yeah, they're well. They're also, there maybe not different.
0: as get as much as getting killed by Lalo, but a lot.
2: Well, there are different kinds of death in in mm-hmm. in this show, um, and you know, which is another way to talk about the thing that is inevitable, and is that, which is that the show will have to deal with in now in just one more season. Because for people who don't know this, uh, season six it got the early renewal for two seasons, and season six is the last season of the show. Uh, It'll be longer than most. It'll be 13 episodes. um, And this is insane to say, 13 episodes, which will put it in terms of overall uh, quantity, one episode more of Better Call Saul than Breaking Bad, which is just crazy to think about. But um, the jump from this hybrid Jimmy Saul that we're seeing at the end of this season to, and this is something you said to me in a text last week, essentially the buffoon that Saul is very comfortable playing Mm -hmm. That uh, some shows wouldn't worry about that. I feel like these writers do. And so to get from here to there, it seems like a pretty long road, Um, a particularly long bad choice road. Yeah. And, and I'm interested about that because one of the things I know you and I wanted to talk about in regards to this finale was, the, was that we noticed we don't talk about Bob Odenkirk that much, which is so yeah. interesting.
0: I'm glad you brought this up. So. I was watching a bunch of videos today in preparation to talk to Tony Dalton, and just kind of like going through the the Better Call Saul YouTube interview universe. And I saw a video with Bob Odenkirk. I, I th- think it's like from from after episode nine, or whenever he gets out of the desert. And he looks like Bob Odenkirk, and I was like, you know, he looks like the Bob Odenkirk who probably walks around Los Angeles or wherever going to going to the supermarket. And I, I, was, I realized like I had done such a bad job appreciating what he had done this year because I think I was so distracted by Ray Seahorn, by Tony Dalton, and to some extent by Michael Mando and Giancarlo Esposito and all these other people. He has really got this very tough job where he's essentially playing the billboard version of himself, you know, and, and giving depth to that billboard when he's on Better, Breaking Bad. And one of the things that I think was a little inco- uh, difficult for people to navigate in the beginning. Of Better Call Saul was just how different he is from the character that we grew to know over the course of Breaking Bad than he is in Better Call Saul. But I think we've really almost underrated, or at least not talked enough, about how remarkable he is. And I was re watching the Tell Me Again scene from, from episode nine and just watching how he's getting kind of bulldozed by Kim in the hotel scene in episode 10. And you just, he just does so much without being showy, which is so contrary to what we think of Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, who's all yeah. catchphrases and bright and bold suits. He's, he's really been in his underpants for the last two episodes.
2: Well, let's also turn the clock all the way back to when the show was announced. And I'm probably on the record writing this, or we probably talked about it on the podcast back in the Grandland days. Was it going to be a comedy? was it going to be like a procedural legal comedy half hour show which i think they've said in retrospect they discussed yeah they were talking um, about
0: it being like a case of the week thing where like stand up comedians came to to Saul and like had a case but that it was almost more of like a sitcom
2: and and so instead they built this riveting character study and emotional drama that basically puts Saul Goodman as the straight man for almost the entire series um for much higher wattage characters like Lalo to bounce against, but also it's hard to call Mike Erman Trout showy, but he has a very heavy gravitational pull for the thing that Jonathan Banks does that everybody loves. Um, so first of all, it's an enormous—it's not just an enormous performance; it's a really fascinating study of uh, trust by the creators, because no one was checking for Bobo, Oden- no one was saying Bob Odenkirk, who's you know had a remarkable and phenomenal career as a comedian and as a performer people weren't like saying what they said about brian cranston you know that that this guy is a generational talent as it turns yeah. out as a, yeah. as an actor with with it's such like an depth and range yeah. um but also an interesting act of sort of like abnegation of ego too by odenkirk this show's built around him but he's often the stillest quietest thing in it especially when he's not in a courtroom um that alone is really interesting and worth worthy of note, but I just think that his performance in these last three episodes is the best he's done all season all series because there's a difference between um, being subtle, yeah, or being not you know or just being quiet and being still, and I feel like stillness is a is a is a very underappreciated tool in an actor's arsenal, you know because you still have to have the charisma to hold. Power when you need it and to let it go when you don't, but you're, but you're, your eye the eye keeps going back to you, you know, and he's so still in that scene that we love so much in episode nine, and he's so still in this episode as he's realizing the choices he's made on the aforementioned bad choice road that he's dragged or or at least he thinks he's dragged came along with him until the finger guns moment when he realizes that she's been right there alongside of him yeah um he's a really interesting guy and it's an interesting thing to see too in someone who previously was a comedian and comic performer
0: mm-hmm.
2: because they're you know it, it, every major comedian does their dramatic turn and what's interesting is what some of them do or what they don't do right and like one of the issues that I've take, I've, I've had in the past with like a, a Jonah Hill performance for example is that when he's being Curious. comedic Jonah Hill yeah. he's so alive and when he's being serious like he was in Maniac it doesn't seem like he's doing something else. It seems like he's not doing all the other things. Where does
0: Wolf of Wall Street fall on that axis?
2: <laughs> Positive. Because he's alive, even though yeah, it's a dramatic yeah. piece. And, it, and and so it's it's not a... The, the trick is taking stuff away, but not feeling the absence, right? Feeling the presence. And it, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I actually want to go back. I haven't. Maybe people can still find it somewhere on the ESPN site. But Bob came on the podcast to talk to me in New York in 2015, right when the show premiered. And he's definitely the kind of comedian, you know, there are people who come in and they're on. Yeah, they're doing and there the are bits. People, and there are people who just will not do bits. And he's definitely the latter. I think David Cross is certainly like that too when I've talked to him. but Well, that would have been right when the show kind of premiered, right? It did. And what he had though instead was just an enormous humility, genuine humility about acting mm-hmm. in that it's it's work for him and he studies it and he takes it really, really seriously. It's not just like, I made you laugh until you cried on Mr. Show 25 years ago. Ergo, I can pull this off. You know, my amazing. favorite.
0: My favorite thing about what he's doing, and, and it's the, my favorite thing about the character, is that he doesn't have a superpower. And I think that in Breaking Bad, Walt always had his, his brain. He always had the Heisenberg way of seeing things. And he also had his, his literal I- I abilities in chemistry. Jim Jimmy is obviously a very talented lawyer and a talented con man. But I really love that in these last few episodes he has been he's he's hit a ceiling in certain places. He's hit a ceiling on how far he's willing to go. He hit a ceiling in whether or not he can outthink and outtalk someone, whether he can talk his way out of a situation. And I really just thought in a in a sort of tapestry and a cast of character actors the fact that the star has decided to kind of cede the spotlight to these other performers is such a brilliant move it's so cool we can actually i mean if you want we can talk about some de- some more detailed parts of the finale
2: i do i just want to counter one thing you said i think that what we've seen in the last two episodes that we're responding to so strongly was actually uh the superpower hitting kryptonite Mm-hmm. His superpower has been his glibness, sure, right? And, yeah. and we did see it. And his compartmentalization.
0: When, his ability to be like, I can almost be killed in a desert, but I can then come, come home.
2: Yeah, and it's always like, say something. And he can say it, and he can get out of danger. He can, he can, he can slip, but he doesn't fall. And the moment that ends, you know, where his confidence in his own superpower ends is the moment that dude puts the gun in his face um, in uh, the episode Vince Gilligan directed, the name of which I'm, I'm blanking on. Bagman. I, th- I
0: think that was yeah. I think that was episode seven. And, yeah.
2: and the guns in his face, and it doesn't work. Yeah, someone shoots everyone to getting him out of it. And, and from that moment on, I think he's 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 wrestling and dealing with the loss of that power.
0: When he talks to Mike about when does this end? Like when am I going to get over this? The PTSD and and Mike's like you know it's different for different people. And and Saul really just Jimmy really just wants this part of his brain to be shut down again. You know he doesn't want to feel scared. He doesn't want to feel traumatized by serial bulls. And it, it, it's a great performance, and it's a great piece of writing.
2: And as um, and this is something that comes up in our conversation with with Tony Dalton, the brilliance of I mean we keep adding different layers of brilliance to episode nine, but Kim outsolves Jimmy with Lalo. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy is able to maintain a baseline of competence in this heightened situation. He he doesn't break. From his story, he adds a few new details each time, but he essentially is holding the line. But he's not able to lift the boulder when Kim comes in and brings the fucking hammer in a way that someone in this world ought to be able to do. And so his own role in the world that he's chosen to be in is suddenly suspect. And that's a fascinating place for the show to be.
0: Was there any particular part of the 10th episode that you wanted to discuss or anything, a standout scene? Obviously, the set piece with Lalo and the tunnels. Well, He's first of remarkable.
2: all, I, yes. I, for me, the most interesting thing was that Better Call Saul is now Briar Patch Canon because Jimmy and Kim checked into the Hawkins Hotel. That place uh, a,
0: has some interesting guests.
2: In, a, A.K.A. the Andalus in downtown Albuquerque. Um, that was fun to see, uh, although they kept it pretty much as it actually is because they were probably, if you would ask them, they would probably like, yeah, it's the Andalus downtown. That's the beauty of shooting Albuquerque for Albuquerque. Um, no, I mean, I, it, it was interesting in the way that the plot choices and story choices they made is kind of keep you on your toes um the the mike gus plot essentially stayed in neutral i mean mm-hmm. gus is like we continue on with the plan the great work goes on and that was it yeah for that story and line. i will more. not
0: release nacho for as long as he has used to me
2: right more or less that was that was the end of that storyline for this episode the jimmy the Jimmy storyline is very internal. He doesn't really leave the hotel. Um, I really liked the nacho stuff because as we were saying, I think Michael Mando's performance has really, really grown and grown on me uh, over the course of the season, partly because one of the things that he does so well, and he kind of did this in Orphan Black too, is that that in the midst of the pathos and the emotion over his father and everything, there's just like something he does with his eyebrows where he's just so fucking pissed he's in this situation. You know, that I really love the anger that's working behind Yeah, he never really sells it, it out.
0: He's never like, I'm so psyched to be at this hacienda or pretending. He,
2: he doesn't want any of it. And so yeah. that was an interesting choice. Um, I really, really uh, enjoyed seeing Don Eladio again. Uh, <laughs> Stephen I, Bauer, yeah. I think Stephen Bauer's performance is, you know... It, if there's any DNA of where Lalo came from in the Breaking Bad universe, it's, it's, it's there.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but it also helps us buy that Lalo is as showy as he is, which is another thing we talked to Tony about. So I, I really like Steven Bauer's performance a lot. I like when the show that, especially this show that, that is so often pretty, um, austere isn't the word, but it's a little bit more, it's a little more lived in, you know, and, and not as fanciful uh, at times as other shows, but it, 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 it does indulge its, south of the border stuff sometimes in a way that I found kind of dramatically interesting. And then, you know, the set, the set piece. The, the, the set piece, the fact that they keep finding ways to do things that tick familiar boxes in our storytelling brains, like, oh, what's the distraction going to be? The door's going to get open. What's going to happen? Obviously, you know, even though you're on the edge of your seat, that Lalo's not going to be taken out in a way that you would expect if he's going to get taken out. And then the one little twist, which is that he gets out And he goes back. Yeah. And it's just one of those little decisions that upends your expectations and also defines the character.
0: It's also why no shot really is wasted on this show. And I mean the entire series. The Lalo physicality in this scene is completely foreshadowed by the physicality in the travel wire scene in in season four. Mm. His meticulous being able to think about angles and um, think through detail and think through scenarios really is explained by his interest in the details. He says he has a head for numbers. He's always asking people to repeat themselves, to tell him about it, to break down scenarios for him, to break down situations. When the count is short at a stash house, he wants to go to the stash house and see where they're keeping the drugs and where they're keeping the money. When he's making tacos, you can tell he's like a meticulous cook. So... I thought that the fact that he goes into that bathroom and the bathtub is there and he lifts up the, the fake, the sort of the doorway, the trap door into the tunnel and his mind is just going and going and going. And you can tell that he's plotting out how to get out of this impossible situation. So I love the fact that they didn't, again, going back to the same thing I said about Saul, they don't make Lalo a superhero. He stays in character. He's the guy who would know how hot a skillet is because we've seen him cooking all season long. And it's just such brilliant writing to keep that stuff threaded through the entire way. So kudos to them. I mean, like, it just makes you watch a show in a completely different way if you know everything you're watching could have something to do with the character later down the line.
2: Not to be... Because we don't want to be just completely uh, showering the show in praise. I would say the one... Criticism. It's not even a criticism. So maybe I am going to keep shouting. No, no. I mean, you can. can, I I would say that for as much as, and, you know, we don't even need to talk about it this week because we have before. uh, Tony Dalton's performance, one of our favorites, if not our favorite on TV at the moment. Ray Seahorn, the MVP of the show, MVP of the season. Um, I'm interested in what they've done with Mike. Because as I was saying the other week, Mike basically.
0: Is Deus Ex Machina, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's also. He's he's also sorry I mentioned Kryptonite before, but he's basically Superman. Yeah, um, and we know that he's surviving this whole season and thriving, um, and he can basically accomplish anything, get anyone out of anything. They took two really strong runs at the character. Obviously, the people remember maybe Better Call Saul's best moment uh, early on was the, uh, the I broke my scene. I broke my boy episode yeah, early yeah. on, where we find out how he became who he became. Then one of the reasons why I loved season four I love the Germans building the super lab I love the relationship with Werner and Mike and Mike's emotional fallout from that whole thing which you know lingered over the first half of the season um, was really strong after that Mike is essentially Mike now from Breaking Bad Mm -hmm. that was his last transformation I guess and which isn't to say there won't be more interesting things with the character but if you're looking at it like like a mixing board Mike is now pushed all the way to 10, which is where he begins at Breaking Bad. Jimmy slash Saul is probably at a seven, right? Uh, Gus is always Gus. There's no difference. And the rest of the characters are, we don't know yet. But Mike, it feels to me, at least from what we've seen, beginning in the second half of the season, he is now a chess piece to move around the board to help set up breaking bad less and you know and already the the dramatic potential for the character was always limited because of we knew what happened to him that's
0: a really interesting thing to say i, I hadn't really thought about that and I, I think i just find mike so cool you know yeah, to the watch that's and,
2: and that's okay like but he's, we're talking right. about we're talking about an all-time tv character unless who we there's get to something see more of. completely
0: so, I, I can imagine a couple of things that mike will react to sure. but Unless there is like another flashback or something, it seems like he is sort of done evolving.
2: I mean, in, I mean, the thing that's left to play with is the relationship with Nacho that they have really steered into in these last two, three episodes. Yeah, with Mike and, asking
0: for his, basically
2: his release. And, you know, I think we can all assume there's, there's no good ending for Nacho coming. And we keep in mind that one of the more compelling things about Mike in Breaking Bad was his fondness for Jesse Pinkman. He has this paternal streak in him that you know is surprising considering his exterior and his body count and so you know if you want to think about where he could go emotionally it's probably there um but but other than that i mean it's kind of wild to think that where this season ends and it ends um not definitively but ends with like just a hard pivot to now here comes the thunder um lalo knows you know, he he says, I know who sent you. So he knows that this is a Gus Fring operation. He knows that Nacho set him up and let the guys in. How is not, how is Lalo coming back ready to kill Gus? He won't succeed. Jimmy and Kim, he won't succeed on Jimmy. We don't know about Kim and Nacho. He's probably going to succeed. How is that going to be stretched out for 13 episodes? That, I, that's the question for me. I think the they'll figure something me. out. Oh, <laughs> I have no doubt they will, but that's Because we also
0: have to understand, like, I, I would think that it is it is probably a better than twenty five percent, thirty five percent chance that we're also going to get some post Breaking Bad stuff, right?
2: That's the next question, and that so was the we last don't, thing.
0: I like traditionally what they have done is basically they start each season with a flash forward ahead of Breaking Bad in black and white in Omaha, Jimmy on the run as Gene the Cinnabon manager, and each season I think it's gotten a little longer, right? Yes. I think that for, I, I, I think that there's, it's very much in play that, that some of Better Call Saul is actually also about the post game.
2: So here, here's what I wanted to throw at you. This is my, uh, I'm going to put on my, my SWAMI hat. Sorry, I left it at the office. I don't have it here it's okay. uh, in my home. Um, I think that this, I think that next season, the last season of Better Call Saul, will obviously wrap up the pre Breaking Bad stuff. I think that it will, wrap up the story of Gene in Omaha, but I also think it will leave the door wide open for post Gene Saul slash Jimmy. I think that these guys have know what they do. They know <clears throat> what they're good at. People love it. They have beaten the odds so many times that there is no reason for them to walk away from the table and be like, we finally cashed out. We've done everything there is to be To to do here, I'm sure Bob Odenkirk and Jonathan Banks, well, Jonathan Banks would be done, but I'm sure Bob Odenkirk would be happy to spend more time with his family in L.A. and not in his what I hope is a very nice home in Albuquerque. But I can't imagine they won't be doing more stories. I can't imagine that there won't be more movies for Netflix or whatever. And maybe when they started this journey five, you know, five years ago, they thought that the gene thing would be the end of Saul with some to some degree. But my my prediction is that it won't be.
0: I have a similar prediction. I don't think Kim's going to die. I, I for a while there, I was a little bit skeptical about how much they knew about Saul while making Breaking Bad, and I think you could make a bunch of different arguments Mm -hmm. in both directions. And Saul's such a ham in Breaking Bad, so it's kind of hard to tell. Sometimes he's he's just a complete. It's not a completely different character, but he's quite different, especially. If you go back and watch some of the earlier seasons, like Saul, you're just not really sure how they're using Saul. He's much more like comic relief in in those early seasons to me. But he never acts like somebody who's the love of his life was killed true. And I just think that the fact that Saul is in gene is on the in Nebraska. Kim is from the Nebraska, Kansas area. And I just have a feeling that that she gets out and maybe he's gone to look for her. And I wonder whether or not the next set of the next show that they do is Kim. Now, I I don't know how they operate, how they do breaking bad or better call Saul outside of the drug trade. It seems like for as much as those characters that are on the far periphery of it, like Walt Walter White um, or Saul Goodman are the the focuses of the series it still feels like the drug trade gives the shows the central tension it needs to get by. But you never know, you know, and and there's nothing to say that Kim doesn't become a drug attorney.
2: Well, I think if you ask, ask me right now, friend of the cartel weapon to my head, I, I agree with you that she doesn't die. And I think that her continued existence safe somewhere might be the one thing that Gene holds on to, knowing that he has to keep his distance, but maybe sure. unable to do it. Um... The Kim thing is so interesting because she is essentially a rev, not a reverse Walter White, but she is the most enlightened character that's been given screen time, I think, in the Breaking Bad universe in that she work, working for Mesa Verde and becoming a high paid partner was her Heisenberg moment. Mm -hmm. And she looked at it and looked at herself and was like, this has no value to me. This is connected to my own psychology and my own inferiority. And what I really, really care about doing is helping uh, um, Daily Show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. sort through cases and manila folders and boxes. Shout out to that, by the way. I love him. And I love him in a dramatic role. Um, So would I like to see not necessarily even Breaking Bad veteran Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, but just TV veterans? These guys do a story about a dogged public defender? played by Racy Orton. Yeah, I would watch that show. But I think you're right that it's not even if you take the word drug out of it, these shows are always about characters who want to be one thing but become enveloped in something larger that is both appealing and appalling in equal measure and where they net out with that. So you're right that without that without that engine of something of the larger nefarious cloud it's hard to imagine a show in this universe but you know they they keep surprising us
0: I want to end our Saul conversation here with a comment that I saw on our Facebook page It's the, the Watch Facebook group and a listener named Brian Ward said after watching last week's BCS so he's referring to this second to last episode of Bad Choice Road I thought of something the show staff is at the peak of their powers right now which they weren't when they started doing Breaking Bad the first few seasons were just learning how to do it What would Breaking Bad look like if it had been done by this crew at this moment as a sequel to Better Call Saul instead of Saul being a prequel to BB without the restrictions of syncing up the show? So would Lalo necessarily replace Tuco as the early boss that Walt and Jesse go up against? Would Kim be in Breaking Bad if she doesn't die? How much better or worse would it be? Or would it just be different? I will say, I have found the filmmaking in this season, the stuff that Peter Gold did was like, such an amazing twist on uh, very Coen Brothers. Like ba- every shot is just like leveraged to 9.5 in its style. Kim's eye going through the peephole, Lalo dipping down into the tunnel. I mean, it, the, they seem to have an almost more sophisticated understanding of how this world looks now. There's a weird part of me that would almost be like, fine if they remade Breaking
2: Bad right now. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, we 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 are going to be starred for content soon enough, so maybe people will be ready to 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 tune into it. I, I I think I just gonna I this is I know this is boring because what ifs are the lifeblood of podcasts. But, but you're
0: like we can't. yet.
2: you 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 can't, and you can't for two reasons from a um, technical and stylistic point of view. And Breaking Bad was no slouch. Um, sure, because Michael Slovis and the work Ryan Johnson did on the show early and late when he came back. Um, in my limited experience making TV. What I learned was just when you think you've started to figure it out is when you're done and then you want to do it again. And so this is a unique thing where these guys, this team, figured it the fuck out to a multiple Emmy award winning degree. And then they got to stunt, yeah. which is what they do in the show. So you kind of can't have one without the other. From a storytelling perspective, again, I just think you can't cross the streams because what was truly surprising and engaging. About Breaking Bad in the moment was that we didn't know where Bottom was. Yes, we met a kind of a a milk toast guy at a inflection point in his life, who whose only connection to the nefarious underworld was his burnout former student, and then they met Tuco and Crazy Eight, right? And then Solid there was hair. another layer, and there was another layer, and there was another layer until basically they were on they were in hell, and if you know how deep it goes at the beginning, it changes your understanding, I think, and your appreciation of, of the journey. Whereas, part again, part of the deep salt bath soak of Better Call Saul is that we know what's just outside of his door, and he doesn't. Yes. And then now that he knows, which is where we are in the narrative now, it's it's pretty devastating.
0: It's, uh, it's a testament to how good Better Call Saul is that I would even entertain it. It's true. That I would even entertain doing something as sacrilegious, as re- redoing Breaking Bad.
2: So what you're saying is Breaking Bad is your Final Fantasy Seven.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, I think that's a great place to end, Andy. Uh, we'll get into our conversation with Tony Dalton. Again, apologies about the audio. I think his personality still comes through. Uh, we just had a couple of technical difficulties, but it was really a delight to talk to him about shaping this, I mean, this kind of Cooperstown character that we've got on our hands. And, and I, I never would have guessed that Better Call Saul this late in its run could come up with a new character, although obviously Lalo is mentioned in Breaking Bad. I never would have guessed that they would have come up with a guy as indelible as as Saul and Kim and, and Nacho and Gus and, and Mike, but they have with Lalo Salamanca. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by WHOOP. At-home fitness is more popular than ever now. People are trying all kinds of new activities like online fitness classes, running outside, and more. But more importantly, how do you know if your body is staying healthy and adapting to your new training routines? WHOOP is the fitness tracker that provides 24-7 personalized data into your body's activities, sleep, and overall recovery. Unlike other trackers out there, it's going to tell you when to push and when to rest. So you'll know if you're ready to crush a body pump class or if it's okay to curl under the covers and binge watch a new TV series. Right now, it could not be more important to have a product like the Whoop Fitness Tracker. Whoop is the best fitness and sleep monitor tracker out there. The wrist-worn device collects 24-7 data about your body and gives you a better understanding of your overall well-being along with personalized, actionable insights to optimize your performance. It accurately measures things like heart rate variability, resting heart heart rate, sleep recovery, and cardiovascular strain, and has been validated by third-party studies for accuracy. WHOOP even has a built-in strain coach feature that actually sets exertion goals so you can work out without losing out on your fitness goals during this self-quarantine. Have you ever wondered how binge-watching in bed or falling asleep next to your laptop impacts your body? You can track that behavior and more with WHOOP and sleep better with personalized insights to strengthen your immune system. Optimize your sleep and performance with WHOOP, train smarter, and don't get out of shape while you're stuck at home. For our listeners, Whoop is offering fifteen percent off with the code Watch at checkout. Go to Whoop that's w h o o p dot com and enter W A T C H at checkout to save fifteen percent. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today on the Watch Podcast. Man, we have been such huge fans of your work this this season, and it's just been a revelation. To get you get get to watch you work on Better Call Saul these last two years.
1: Thanks, man. It's been lots lots of fun to do, to play the part of Lalo.
2: Before we get going, Tony, we're just so glad to see you. That you're also at the moment you are clean shaven. Uh, before you joined us, Chris was saying that he's growing a mustache, and I wonder. In honor
0: you, of Lalo, I was so inspired.
2: If you have any thoughts, because I, I thought maybe he just had a big drink of chocolate milk, because that's all I could see. <laughs>
1: I think people have a lot of time on their hands right now. (laughs) That's true, and they don't have to be in an office or in the streets. So, uh, listen, I I, I was I was not for the mustache of Lalo, but uh, they kind of asked for it because they said I didn't look Mexican enough. (laughs) And I swear to God, and now it turned out to look not so bad. So, um, I I, I just shaved it off because I did a movie, but I'm I'm gonna go. I gotta grow it back for for the next season.
2: There's something kind of I, we. I, first of all, we did not intend to make this a mustache centric podcast, so please hey, don't think do that we it. did. Let's do it. Let's go for it. <laughs> but we all have a lot of free time these days. Um, there's something about the mustache that is so integral, I think, to the character because it makes him so much more swashbuckling. You know, there's no. Something... It works
1: perfectly. It works perfectly. It's this. Uh, I think Peter Gould said something like, uh, "It's um, it's sort of this Mexican Errol Flynn kind of thing." You know. <laughs> Yes, That's I mean the only thing in missing
2: is uh, like a rapier sword. You know, you need like a like a like an old timey uh, three musketeers kind of thing, and maybe a small cape. It Doesn't have to be a big one. You know, like no, the
0: small one, just something tasteful,
1: like to the waist, to the waist. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking.
0: But yeah, you know, Tony, actually, with the mustache, it's a good segue. To one of our first questions, which was really about, um where Tony begins or where Tony ends and Lalo begins because I was wondering how much of um some of the characteristics that people have grown to really appreciate or at least be in awe of with Lalo if not quite love because Lalo is obviously a pretty scary individual how much of that stuff's on the page versus what you've brought to the character I know that the script is sort of holy in the in the Better Call Saul world that that you guys are really operating with some really high caliber writers but I was curious what kind of things maybe for me your own gestures, your own sort of physicality that you're bringing to the role.
1: Yeah, very high caliber writers, man. Those guys are amazing. I mean, to begin with, those are the guys who create the whole thing. You know, so uh, it starts with them. It starts with Peter. It starts with Vince. It starts with all the writers, and then you know you show up and you see what you can bring to the table. You know, that's kind of that's kind of the work. That's what you got to do. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's not. And In this case, I think that it um, it worked perfectly. You know, because One of the things that I wanted to do was make him more charming, you know, kind of like a a, a light, light character, even though he's a sick, sick human (laughs) being who's a killer and stuff. But a guy who doesn't take everything so seriously.
2: What, how much of that was what was communicated to you at the start? I, I'm curious about your entrance into this world. Where were you? Did you enter into was it an audition situation? Did they call you in? And were you a Breaking Bad fan? And when you got in there, how was the character presented to you?
1: Yeah, then I went to I went to the casting on my birthday for the callback, and and uh, a couple of weeks later they called me. Send me to, to Albuquerque, and when I started reading who the character was and everything, because in the casting it's different, you don't know what really you're setting yourself up to. But I know I was in good hands because it was, you know, Vincent Peter and this show, and it just ended up being Lalo. So I just, I just kind of, you know, showed up with this idea of this guy being very charming and very, you know, very kind of elegant in a certain kind of weird way. And they liked it. I, I, I appreciate that they also uh let me do that because they're not very lenient uh as far as what you're supposed to you know, If you, you do do what's on the paper, which I, I respect. But in this case I think that they just saw maybe a little inkling and then I think that they started writing it towards it. So it was sort of this merger of of uh, you know, Frankenstein and his monster, <laughs> of uh, you know, them writing something and me kinda going, you know. And they go, okay, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but, that. but it's it's
2: so it's so great to watch because the show has such a classic all-time villain already, and Gus Fring, who is notable for being completely still. And right, so exactly. it's a wonderful counterpoint to have someone who can't stop moving in that in the way that he can with whether it's with his words, his face, his body. It's it, it's a wonderful contrast.
1: Yeah, I, like I said, I wanted to. I, I saw right before I, I you know I, I went to to this whole thing to the casting process and everything. I saw uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, and everybody was so serious and stoic, and so you know, taking everything so seriously. And I, I saw this—I saw this interview once a while back. It was with Jeffrey Rush, and Jeffrey Rush was doing a movie called, I think it was Elizabeth, with Shekhar Kapoor. Or at least he was being offered it, and he said he didn't want to do it because he just done uh, Le Mis with uh, Hugh Jackman, or, or the other way around, but it was something like that. And he said, you know, I don't want to play another villain. And um and Trick says, no, but this guy, this guy kills with a smile. And that always like was in the back of my head, like, wow, that's that's a great idea. And 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 Jeffrey Rush does a great job. He does the same part that he would normally, he just enjoys it more, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was years ago when I saw that, and I said, you know, if I ever get the opportunity to do something like that, I'm gonna totally take it. And this presented itself, and I was like, this is it, man. I mean, it's all in, you know, let's smile all the way here. You
0: know? <laughs> For as uh for as much as Lalo obviously has this sense of showmanship that Donaladio points out in the final episode, I also really recognize how meticulous and detail-oriented he is. You know, he's a mechanic, he's a chef when he's kind of on the case of of he sort of becomes a Sherlock Holmes in these last two episodes where he's sort of tracking down Saul's car, investigating what well, you know, whether or not he's being lied to. I was wondering if if you kind of look at acting in in that detail oriented way are you a real meticulous preparer are you are you deeply deep in the research are you always interrogating space between lines or is it more of a feel thing for you
1: well i think you got to do i mean i've been doing this for a while now and before it was more meticulous and then you go for you know what, what you're feeling and then there's also this this sense of no matter how prepared you are you always have to be sort of very you know unprepared in a certain way. Like, yes, you do know your lines and you're ready and you came with something, but you got to know this so well that when you're on the set and you see, you know, what's going on, you might take a different turn and do something completely different because it presents itself. And that's kind of the mood of what's going. And, you know, it's not like you show up like a stubborn person going, this is the way I'm doing it. You're, you're open to who the other actor is in the scene, what the director is saying, what the tone is, where the camera's coming from, what the space is. And all those kind of things make you, you know, if, if you've been doing it for a while, it kind of makes you go, okay, well, here what I can do. Like, for example, I think that scene in, uh, in the last episode where we walk in and, uh, and just Kim and Saul's apartment and I was like, um, nice, I like it, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't written that way. It was like, oh, it's a nice place. And I was like, you know, let's just, and then, you know, I, I walked with my arms open and stuff. And it's like, that wasn't something that when we did rehearse even came by, but when I walked into the apartment and stuff, I did it that way. And they were like, yeah, that's it. That works. So it's sort of this merger of everything, you know?
2: We're definitely going to return to that scene before we're done talking to you because Chris and I were just in awe of it, and in awe of your work in the scene. But I did want to specifically ask you a little bit about the finale, which um, we're recording this Monday afternoon, but the, no one will hear this podcast till after they've seen the episode. Um, I think a lot of people are tuning in tonight expecting or at least fearing for potentially the worst for a number of characters. That's the beauty of the show. There's a sense of foreboding and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, anxiety with every episode, especially when you're late in the season. I'm wondering if it's similar for the cast or has Peter and Vince communicated to you that you'll be okay tonight, but, you know,
1: (laughs) who knows for next season? No, man, they don't tell us anything. We don't know if we're going (laughs) to die or not at all. all. And the only people that are scared are Michael Mandel, you know, Patrick, uh, Ray, and myself because Bob yes. and, and Giancarlo and este, and and, and John—they know they're good, you know. But <laughs> also, there's there's this—you know—it's it's, you don't know, but it's okay. I mean, it's not like oh my god, I need to live. It's like, it's not real. <laughs> it's it's like if if, if if you have an honorable, big, cool death, that's also kind of cool, you know. So it's it's it's, it's all good, honestly.
2: So instead of a big cool death uh, in the finale, you instead had a long cool segment of death dealing.
1: Uh, <laughs> One yeah, I was your... taking some mass.
2: <laughs> so, I, so I wonder about that experience. You get sent the script once you know when it goes to a production draft. You see all the stuff that Lalo's going to have to do. What is the process for uh, within the production of, you know, whether it's uh, fight training, whether it's time spent and rehearsing in this on the location where you're shooting it. And what was that experience like doing
1: all that craziness for this finale? Well, look, to be honest with you, it's a lot more difficult to do a scene, for example, like I did with Bob and Ray at the end of Nine, than it is to do, you know, jumping through hoops and killing people with guns and stuff. Because, (laughs) I mean, yeah, we did do, you know, I went a couple of times to see if I could fit through that tunnel, you know, and stuff (laughs) like that. And if it looked good, if I came out and all that stuff, because uh, they wanted to make sure that, you know, we're not there on the set and, and I didn't know what I was doing. But you know, we'd already been working for about five, four or five months or something. So we were already like on track. They already, we already knew what we, you know, what each other was capable of. So when it's usually action sequence, it's not that um, it's not that complicated. It's just one shot after another shot after another shot. When you when you do scenes like the one with, that, with Ray, that has so many more levels of you know complexity because. It's it's not only what the scene is. It's how what are you going to do? How are you going to say it? How they're going to say it to you? You know, it's not just okay. Here you're going to shoot him, and then you're going to run into that tunnel, and then you're going to shoot these guys. It's it's a little more. There's a there's a more you know up bigger grade of difficulty. I don't know if that's the way to say it, but yeah.
0: You've alluded to that scene in in episode nine a couple of times, and Andy and I spent a huge chunk of our pod last week breaking that scene down, Tony. I. I wondered if, if, if that felt like being back on the stage. I know you, you, you have a lot of ex- theater experience, and when I was re-watching that scene before we did this pod today, there's a couple of master shots that feel like you could be watching like a, a Broadway production of a scene um, in Bad Choice Road.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's different because stage is stage. You know there's not a camera, it's live. But, uh, and as far as you know, learning the lines, yeah, it was a it was a it was a complicated scene, and there was a lot of things going on. There was different emotions from the beginning to the end, and there's a different sort of um, which is interesting, the sort of this uh, power play where at the beginning of the scene, Lalo's in charge, you know, and then at the end of the scene, uh, 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 Kim's in charge, which is which is amazing, to, you know, be able to pull that kind of thing off. And um, but yeah, we we rehearsed that a couple of times, and uh, you know, showed up uh, to the set and. We did that one in two days. My scene was in one day. So basically eight hours of that. Hmm. Eight or nine hours.
0: When you see when you see the lines, that line tell me again for the first time in the script, that's already become become something I've seen people like sort of tweeting back and forth to each other. It's become one of those memorable, unforgettable lines from from this from this better call Saul experience does it jump out off the page to you the first time you read it? Like, Oh man, like this is one of those lines.
1: Yeah, it sure does. I mean, a lot of them do. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of them in there that you go, Oh man, this is good stuff. You know, even all the scenes with Bali, you're the guy for this, you know? And, and, you, and you, that's one of the, the, the cool things about this, this gig is that, you know, they give it to you about maybe two weeks before you have to do it or 10 days. So uh, you know what 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 what's hard and what's not hard and like that. Tell me again, line. I mean, I, I said it to myself, you know, ten thousand different ways to see which one was going to work, you know. And still, you don't know because you could show up to the set and be completely mistaken. But you know how you're going to say it because if you say it right, you sell the line, and if you don't, it's like, oh man, you missed it. You had it there, and that was yours. And you know you're going to score the goal, and you fucking missed the goal, man. <laughs> it happens. And you have to, you, you got to get it right, you know? I, I love the
2: way you described uh, the transfer of power in that scene, which is so palpable. You know, the audience, I was just like, as, as sitting in the audience for that scene, I was just suddenly noticed that I was not li- leaning back on my couch anymore. You know, it, it was like I was watching uh, a, a match, you know, on the highest level of, 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 of uh, ability. And... Just on a technical level, when you're with two other performers, um, like Bob and Ray, who've been playing these parts in this world for a little bit longer than you have, Bob, you know, much longer, obviously going back to the other show. Um, Three actors with different styles, you know, and you've had different number of scenes with each of them. What does that feel like over the course of the day, sort of feeling each other out? I mean, I I, I keep going, both of you have now, Chris and you, Tony, have used sports metaphors for it. And I wonder if it's like, are you testing someone's backhand? are you, I'm switching from soccer to tennis, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, are you testing the backhand for a little? Then you see, okay, well, he's hitting that back. Now I'm going to try it. Uh, try a drop shot. I mean, are you, are you, where, is there a level of of play
1: in that, even though it is, you know, a very intense eight hour day of work? Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, even from the scenes with Bob and when we were in the jail scene and stuff, I mean, with everybody, there's a level of play. That's one of the good things about this career. Sometimes it's just uh Playing uh, tennis against the wall, you know I mean just to keep your, uh, to keep your <laughs> tennis going, um, but not with these guys, of course not. these guys are uh, at the top of their game, they're unbelievable, and also they're super generous, so they'll let you propose or they'll give you you know like oh, what do you do? you know, maybe come closer and say you want to be a friend of a car. I yeah that's good. so it's like, it's like we're talking to each other also I mean like you said they've been, in, they've been around this show longer, they understand it longer, so I'm just kind of there listening and taking notes and trying to. Trying to stay uh, stay afloat.
2: Is is that apartment? Is that a set or is that a location? Where the uh, uh, Kim and Jimmy's apartment? No, that's a set. That's a set at 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 ABQ Studios. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: When you're doing uh, when you do that scene, Tony with with Bob and Kim, and you kind of are running through it. When you rewatch it now, I was curious whether or not you feel differently about the scene at all. Because I was I was kind of wondering when I was rewatching it whether there's any part of Lalo that wants to believe Jimmy's story, even if he doesn't believe it?
1: Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there. Yes, there is a part of Lalo that wants to believe Jimmy's story, but also there, 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 uh, Lalo doesn't care. <laughs> you know, it's not like that important to him. I know it's important to everybody else, but to him, it's not. You know, the guy's a smart guy. He, uh, he's part of the family. He's, uh, you know, like if if you're, uh, you know, that, uh, if you're like a rich kid's son and you're going to start at the mail room and then go all the way up and, and then one day you'll be VP. I think that that's what Lalo's doing, you know. He's going up the ranks. He, he's, he was in charge of maybe San Diego or that area and now this part because Hector's in a wheelchair. So, yeah, okay, so all this stuff is happening. He's like, I don't give a shit, you know, fine. Well, you know, there's always shit happening. He's so much more into something else that he couldn't care less. But then, at the end of episode ten, they got personal. They got they got they went to his home where he was where he wanted to just relax and chill out and be uh you know maybe a little kind of like a rich narco guy and it uh, works done you can relax and uh, you know they killed the nana the nanny you know
2: well it's interesting you mentioned Hector and you mentioned Lalo not caring about things I did want to um, call attention to one of the moments that um, I think your work is so Masterful in and and you know, it's, it's the little moments that kind of make the larger character and Specifically it's the moment in the in the previous episode where you say goodbye to Hector for what you imagine might be the last time and You know as you turn back uh, Hector has the birthday cap On his head and he's just sort of been emasculated and reduced to you know, this sort of sad Figure uh, someone that Lalo respects a lot and Lalo turns back and so much emotion uh, different emotions are on his face in that moment I was curious just as an actor if you use moments like that to bring in decisions you've made about the character that might never even make it onto the page like uh, his history yeah, that's with exactly his, what his it PO, is, et etc.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you, you get you know you, you want your character to have as 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 many layers as possible so that you know he's uh more interesting and there's not a lot of moments where you can see Lalo caring. So if you know, if if, if what what you know that's on paper is that uh, family is everything, you know, that they say the familia familias todo, then you know that, you know, Hector is somebody who's really important to him, even though nothing else is. But that Hector is. So, you know, that's the only moment where you can show true emotion, uh, and totally break character because it's uh, justifiable, you know. It's 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 something that where you go, Oh, okay, so this guy's actually you know, maybe not that bad. I mean, maybe he is that bad, but he's still, you know, he's he's also he's also got a heart, even though he's crazy, you know.
0: Yeah, you understand his motivation a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where he's going, where he's coming from, everything. And and just to
2: wrap up, um, obviously people who have watched this finale in this phenomenal season of television, um, know that we're headed to what appears to be a pretty gnarly endgame. Uh, Lalo is fired up, as you said. It's personal now. He's furious, he's got some targets probably on his mind. Um, A full head of steam built up for season six, which now the recording of is, of course, like everything in Hollywood in question. I'm just wondering what, you know, prior to this horrible situation we find ourselves in, what the schedule was meant to be? Were you meant to be going back uh, later this year? And, you know, what the latest thinking is in the Better Call Saul camp about what's possible?
1: I think that from what I have under from from what I understand, we're still we're still set to go. We always had September, and we we're doing September. We start shooting the last season.
2: Oh, that's great! So it wasn't before then. So
1: that you weren't even set to get back there until September. No, it was always going to be September because these guys are just writing it right now. I mean, what I do know that they're doing because they told me is that they're you know they're writing like this, you know, through Zoom and stuff. Yeah, which is, which you said to Peter was something kind of weird. <laughs> But it's still, I mean, you know, they're getting the job done, you
2: know? Do, 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 do you have a a happy ending in your mind for Lalo? Is there something you'd like to see him do before uh, his run on the show ends, however that may end?
0: Yeah, maybe open a, a cafe or a or a Travel Wire
1: <laughs> franchise? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Travel Wire franchise. I don't know. Maybe open up Lalo's taco.
2: <laughs> he, he could use Nana's recipes, you know? He could finally pay yeah, exactly. a tribute to her. <laughs>
1: Lalo and Nana. <laughs> Lalo and Nana. That's what it is.
0: Wow. Well, Tony, man, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us for today. Happy for guys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> please, seriously.
0: Uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thank you so much for the work you did these last two seasons. But it's just been incredible to watch you every week, man.
2: Your, your performance is our favorite thing to watch on TV right now. It's just... Thank you so much. That's really nice. Thank you for talking to us too, man. And, and please stay well. Stay inside
1: other than the lovely balcony <laughs> you're on. Yeah, Thanks a lot, guys. See you, man. Take care.
0: All right, guys. Thank you so much to Tony Dalton for taking some time out to talk to me and Andy today. We'll come back on Thursday. We'll hit the Devs finale, which will be a week old at that point, but that's okay. And we'll probably talk about Mrs. America. Um, and we have a bunch of other stuff on the plate. So, So stay tuned. More conversation about TV and pop culture coming on Thursday.